Hello and welcome to episode 40 of Prognotes. My name is Dustin. And I'm Drew. And today we are listening to Ocean by Eloy. If this is your first time listening to our show, welcome. We try to educate and inspire our listeners to uncover and learn about progressive rock music. And we're very honored that you're with us. And we would love to connect with you. So please give us a follow on Instagram or Facebook. Or you can join our Discord chat server to talk with Drew and I, as well as many other fans of the show and Prog Rock. These links are all in this episode's description. And we always want to say thank you to all of our patrons for helping this show and these episodes happen. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash prognotes. Ocean is the sixth studio album by the German progressive rock band Eloy, released in December of 1977. For, for reference, this is just two months after A Farewell to Kings by Rush was released. Other albums also released in 1977 include Animals by Pink Floyd, which we featured on episode 27 of Prognotes, so go check that out. Eloy was founded by the guitarist Frank Borneman in 1969. The name Eloy is based on a futurist race of humans from the book The Time Machine by H.G. Wells. Borneman describes the origin of the name of the band as I quote here. Wells describes in his book the situation of mankind about 800,000 years later, and Eloy is the human race in his story. The Eloy and Wells story made a new start with the help of the time traveler. In a way, it was a new beginning for the human race. German rock bands in the 1960s played mainly covers from other bands instead of playing their own compositions. Record deals for German bands were absolutely rare, and German bands were generally considered to be second-class bands in their own country. At that time, it was a strong effort for a German band to come out with only their own compositions. It was a start into an unknown future, and this point of view is comparable to the human race in Wells' story. That is why I got the idea to name the band Eloy. And I just wanted to pause here because I already have to applaud them and applaud the band for being bold enough to go out and, if, if what he says here is true, to go out and write their own compositions and going after a record deal even though they knew it was rare for German bands to do right. so. Um, and I like how the name of the band relates to a, uh, quote, a new beginning. I just kind of yeah. thought that I kind of thought that was worth mentioning. So it's really neat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so uh, now, when people mention German and prog rock, uh, you might be thinking of the you might be having the idea of krautrock in your mind. And uh, but Eloy's mu musical style has a lot more in common with English progressive rock, in my opinion. And Drew, I know you had a couple of thoughts on this subject, right? Um. Yeah, we had discussed it the other day. Yeah. Um. That. They, they, yeah, they, they, like you said, they had more of a UK feel to them, but they still incorporated kind of the German essence of like what I, I call it that sense of wandering or lingering that yeah. we explored on the our episode with Can, yeah, uh, and and that was their their album Future Days by Can, mm -hmm. so check that out uh, that episode out, um, but uh, yeah, that one just kind of had this really kind of groovy feel that kind of went on for a while and it was supposed to put you more in a mood than it was kind of a focused a more focused effort that yeah you kind of hear in a lot of progressive rock and yes progressive rock has long songs and they do have solo parts as well that can go on for a little bit but it generally seems more focused the the kraut rock that i've heard by stuff like can and noi um and you know stuff like tangerine dream and everything too they start to get more electronic and everything um it's very much, let's put you in this kind of mood for a little bit. And we're going to jam on it for yeah. a while. 
kind of jam bandy in yeah. a way. Um, Eloy is a little bit different. They retain that to a degree. You can hear that with even in this record with Ocean, but it does tend to sound more focused, more conceptual. Um, with 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 some of the 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 other bands that they seem to be emulating mm, right and right. specifically pink floyd and we'll talk a little bit more about that later yeah um but they also seem to have a more focused concept like this was clearly a concept album and we'll get into that later yeah on. that was also another thing too i think with the, the some of the kraut rock is a lot of it was instrumental and this inclu- yes. uh, this is has the inclusion of, of lyrics and more than just lyrics because can also included lyrics but some of their lyrics are just kind of like huh um, but this is very <laughs> some some of yeah that's yeah. a lot of them yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but this is very clearly very clearly a concept very clearly a, a focused effort to create uh, some sort of of space or story uh, for the lyrics yeah. to sit it's in. It's kind of yeah. an interesting blend because, like, like I said, you can kind of hear, you know, the the German influence of yeah. a lot of the other bands around that time, what they were doing. But but again, like you said, Dustin, definitely feel like it's more. It, they were more influenced by a lot of the UK prog pioneers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, pretty interesting. Yeah. Um. And and just to kind of expand upon that a little bit. Their history was not dissimilar to Rush's as far as their sound. Hmm. So when they were starting out, I listened to some of their early records, and man, it's pretty much hard rock. Right. Like early rock, early mm-hmm. hard rock. So after rock and roll with Elvis and little, you know, little Richard and all that stuff, uh, you know, stuff like Led Zeppelin and Cream and The Who and Deep Purple, Jimi Hendrix, a lot of this kind of like blues-based. You know that sound. I mean, if you've heard it, you've heard it. Like, yep. these really classic hard rock icons, right? Yep. ACDC, all that kind of stuff. They kind of had, like, a, just a very standard rock sound mm-hmm. to begin with. And then they started to expand more into stuff that was really psychedelic. And, again, Pink Floyd kind of comes to mind. Like, early Pink Floyd sounds like early Eloy to me. Yeah. So, pretty interesting how they evolved. And it reminds me of Rush, because Rush's first record first couple of records had a very kind of typical rock sound and then they started to expand some more did some more conceptual stuff and experimented more with their music and then expanded into keyboards and all that kind of stuff Eloy reminds me a lot of that and I haven't like totally delved into their entire discography but I've heard bits and pieces from you know different eras and um, mm-hmm. yeah pretty pretty interesting yeah and they're very it's very clearly rock rock music which I also think is mm-hmm. uh, quite different or slightly different offering from like the stereotypical kraut rock scene, which is they they brought sure. they brought a style that was uh, pretty unique for German bands at the time, um, because they being being I guess one of the first symphonic sounding bands that utilized more than just synths. So somebody like Tangerine Dream, right, who went right. all synth for the most part. Yeah. Eloy still uses bass and guitars and drums on top of the right. elaborate synth soundscapes and the sure. invocations that the electronic instrument can offer. And so I really appreciate that. Right. Um, yeah. Because it, it, it certainly has uh, the, the inclusions of the of the rock elements with the combination of the super spacey atmospheres and the, you know, all, all of that mm-hmm. kind of stuff that we, uh, that we both enjoy and is very common towards the UK. Uh, right. Uh, prog, prog stuff going on. Um, so, yeah. 
Well, I'll tell you, just as far as like the synth sounds and everything too, there was a good bit of this record, Ocean, that reminded me a lot of the episode we did on Camel with Moon Madness. Like yeah. some of the key sounds in there, I was like, whoa, it's super reminiscent yeah. of that. And just kind of has a similar similar type of feel. So, yep. Yeah, no, most definitely. Very much reminded me of that. Yeah. So. So, they're, so they're not necessarily considered Krautrock, but if you'd like to hear more information on Krautrock, like Drew said, we go into a deeper history on episode 13 way back in the day. Uh, yeah. We listened to Future Days by Can. So you guys can go check that out if you'd like to. Um, this mm-hmm. album's lineup, and I say this album because Eloy had several lineups, um, is Frank Borneman on electric and acoustic guitars, lead vocals, and he's also credited as the producer of the record. Um, I'm gonna try and I'm gonna try and do these names here. Klaus Peter Mat Matzoil. Matzoil? I'm gonna you know, I'm gonna go with that. Bass guitar and backing vocals. Detlev Schmitzen. Go with that synthesizers and keyboards he also has a couple of solo albums by the way too i went and checked out his uh kind of his credits on all music and he's got a lot of a lot of solo albums that he's been a part of like recent stuff that he's done so um and then the last one is jurgen rosenthal who uh plays drums also is credited as flute and also wrote the lyrics which i find to be a little interesting as well yeah the drummer wrote the lyrics for this so we kind of have another kind of rush thing going on um, That's really interesting because yep. what I've researched about this, a lot of it has been like, here's what Borneman, right? The kind yes. of front man, yeah. vocalist and guitarist. Here's what he has to say about the concept. Uh-huh. I haven't heard much. That's yeah. interesting. I and did not know I, that. And what I found out too is, and I know we're kind of jumping ahead here, but I know what I found out with, in terms of the history and the lineup, a lot of it was because of the control uh, like Borneman had, like mm. Borneman had, like yeah. this. Yeah, I think that's exactly why he left the band after the previous record, Silent or previous, uh, the uh, the next record. I think was Silent Cries or something like that, and Mighty mm-hmm. Echoes. And I think that's yes. the reason why he left is because there was this tension that was going on between. Actually, I have that written down. I'll go into that in just a second. I have all that written sure. down. I'll go into that. Um, yeah, yeah, fun yeah. fact though, <laughs> fun fact though about Jurgen Rosenthal, he was a member of the Scorpions in 1974. Oh wow! Yeah, so he kept, he left Scorpions, and then went to do his military obligations, and then after he completed those, joined the band. Wow! Yeah, so I think That's there's a wild ride. Yeah, I, I um that might add some context uh, in in a minute once we once we get into some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want me to read some of their history before you go into some of the reviews that people said yeah, about this? That'd you want be me great. To go there? Okay. I know we're yeah. kind of, we usually go to the reviews just to hear what some people think about it, but I'll go to, I'll, no, here's this kind is of good. The, this is good context. Yeah. Um, here's just the history of Ocean, because I think a lot of people, including myself, coming into this episode, uh, was not very familiar with Eloy, uh, not familiar, not very familiar with their music, and so um, I wanted to do just a, a brief history of this album, as well as some of the band, um, to give people some some context, as well as just some uh, just some information, since this is this might be a new band for some people. Um, so, of course, I said there was a lot of musicians, uh, <laughs> a lot of lineups and, that, that were a part of Eloy. And uh, this one is definitely the one that was the most successful. Um, so Frank joined forces with the guitar with guitarist Detlev. And then Detlev switched to keyboards for Eloy. So he was a guitar mm-hmm. player that switched to keys. And then Klaus, Peter, Matt Zoyle, and Jürgen Rosenthal became the new rhythm section, being the bassist and the drummer. Um, the music now became even more orchestral and structurally diverse and atmospheric because of the addition of a keyboard player. So prior to Dawn, I think was their previous record, their first record, like you were talking mm-hmm. about, they did not have a keyboard player. So I think that was one of the things that really kind of like shifted yeah. into their sound. 
Um, exactly. Yeah. And, and yeah, like I was saying, you you don't really hear any sort of synthesized sound on their first record. Right. Right. And so, which kind of brings that proggy element. Well, I mean, it's definitely, synthesizer, yeah, rather. which yeah. is a huge element, uh, especially on this record, but also in prog rock in general, it's seventies, seventies prog, yeah. prog rock. Let's say that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, so now we got a little bit more structurally diverse and atmospheric, uh, and then Jürgen Rosenthal wrote the lyrics. They were heavily mis- mystical and reinforced, uh, the mood of the music. And so during rehearsals, the new quartet now wrote the music for the new album Dawn. So this is the previous record. And the subsequent recording sessions in Cologne, a string orchestra added orchestral elements. So this is the first time that they wrote with a string, uh, with a, with an orchestra was on Dawn. And then the album hit the stores in 1976 at once, becoming Eloy's greatest success so far. So they just hit big in 1976. They did two tours. They gained a pretty decent following and fan base in their own country. And now the ground was set up and clear for them to record Ocean in 1977, which remains this is this is kind of the biggest thing and the biggest statement about this record this is Eloy's best-selling album till today so that's 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 one of the the biggest things is that this is the best-selling album of Eloy today um so if you haven't heard Eloy before this may be a great album to start with and and it probably was for us too and uh it brought the band's breakthrough put them at the top of the progressive rock movement at the time the opening song, Poseidon's Creation, was even used in a soundtrack for a TV production, and the painting got numerous awards for their album cover, which we'll come to that later. Ocean now became a cult album with continuous sales, and this is the second biggest fact probably that I have, is that it eventually turned out to be the best-selling progressive rock album by a German band to date, period. Oh, wow. So best-selling progressive rock album by a German band, and I think it also outsold bands like Pink Floyd and Genesis in Germany, yes, you, did you uh, see I had that read too? that. I had read that in Germany, this was more popular than a lot of the really po- already popular acts uh, in the UK, based in the UK. Yeah. So yeah, which was pretty, pretty significant for the time. Oh yeah, because uh, like we were saying earlier, the you know original German music recording just wasn't as popular as stuff that you could get from neighboring Western European countries. Exactly. Exactly. Right? And especially you know the uk with a lot of just crazy insane awesome music coming out of there at that time during the 70s so yep um so yeah uh i did not know that it also might be interesting to know i think this is called the uh the like golden years or the golden trilogy Mm. of of eloy records um i'm blanking on the on the exact name uh or term that they applied to it but uh, if you look it up, a lot of people consider that these three records, right? This is the yeah. second. This is the middle um, child, the yep. middle child of the all three. Um, but there was Dawn, right, which yep. you just talked about. And then there was Ocean, this record. And then uh, the Silent, last one Silent was Cries Silent Cries and Mighty, Cries and Mighty Echoes. Yeah. Um, which is pretty, pretty interesting uh, album cover design, too, and color scheme they used. Because they had the yellow and blue mm. records right so dawn has a yellow one uh ocean has a very blue, blue. looking color scheme to it and the last one silent cries of mighty echoes is green which combination of yellow and blue makes green right so i thought that was really cool actually interesting anyways we'll huh. yeah yeah we'll jump in. we'll jump into more um mm-hmm. we'll get into all that uh 1995 it was awarded gold by emi 25 years after its release so sales figures in germany alone 
were at 250,000 alone mm-hmm. in Germany. So yeah. Eloy were high, were they were high in the German charts in 1977. Sometimes and and like I said, they they were outperforming British colleagues like like Genesis and, and Pink Floyd. They were outperforming them in, right. in the country. And so uh, subsequent tour elaborately staged. They had a laser show that was going with it. Audiences were growing. Live shows was triumphant. Uh, recordings of this was released in 1978, just a year after, on a double live album or a double album, a uh, double live album called Live. Um, super original, right? Mm, um, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, fans were enthusiastic, although although the reviews in many parts of the German media, especially in the relevant music magazines, were alarmingly negative. Sometimes even like aggressively denigrating and almost hostile, like never before had any band in Germany inspire such strongly divided opinions between the audience and the music press as Eloy did mm. after Ocean. And the musicians retired to the French Atlantic coast to write new songs. This is where all the strong tensions started developing between the artists, right? Jürgen and Frank, now they couldn't find any common ground concerning the lyrics. Jürgen had been writing all the band's lyrics since dawn, according to their website. Mm. But Frank mm. now thought that his bandmates' scenarios were too destructive in tone and difficult to adapt to melodies due to their phonetic quality. I can totally see that. I can totally understand that. Which is I, I why... Once listening to this record, yeah. Yeah, I, it, yeah. But so shortly after, like you said, Silent Cries, Mighty Echoes was recorded in Cologne, once again, under heavy time pressure. Musically, the band managed to implement their sound, but the conflicts among the musicians did not cease. One point of issue was building of a studio for the band in, uh, in Hanover. Uh, for the last few concert, few concerts of the tour in France, the band took on a second guitar player, something which had not been done since Power and the Passion, which was prior. And it was Hans hmm. Arcona, uh, who actually ended up being a part of Eloy's 80s records. So he, he's, he appears on a lot of those, on a lot of those albums. Uh, Frank wanted him to stay as a permanent member of the band to expand the musical and instrumental range that they could cover. But unfortunately, Hans only saw the end to this very successful area of the band because Detlev and Jurgen left Eloy shortly after. So, mm. so it, you know, a quick stint. They had a quick stint of success for the band, but it, you know, it doesn't mean that they actually quit writing albums too. So, if you're not familiar, they have 19 studio albums. Yeah, and I mean, and a soundtrack. Like, and so yeah. like their most recent album was released in 2019. So I mean, they're still doing stuff. And so Borderman's right. still going strong, writing new music. Um, unfortunately, I'm not well versed in the material, as this is my first Eloy record. I think this is also yours as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so we can't so. we can't speak really to the other records that they've released if it's worth a listen or not. But according to what I've read with interviews of Frank, um, it's interesting. In an interview that I read with with him, he considers their first record to be Krat Rock, but their second, mm. yeah. But their second album, <laughs> Inside, their second album, Inside, they picked up a new keyboard player, and the mixture of the rock and the pulsating rhythms and atmospheres is what made Eloy Eloy. But he considers the first album to be Kraut Rock. Uh, I was like, I, mean, I again, don't from know. What, from what I heard, and I heard right. a fair chunk of their first record, I'm not sure if I finished the entire thing end to end. I didn't get through um, it all. But, yeah, it seemed more... Um, straight rock it more just straight rock yeah it was just straight rock music i, I don't know yeah, like but. early led zeppelin early the who like it reminded me of that kind of stuff yep yep so um, um but what did, oh, what did the uh what did the 
uh, reviews I have to say about this. I know you had it. You had a few of them. Um, yeah, I didn't have any from the time period. Um, yeah. Prague Archives gives it an aggregate score of 4.2 out of 5, and that's from a little over 1,100 ratings. People, 47% gave it a perfect score, uh, which is close wow. to half. Uh, 35% gave it a 4 out of 5, which is still excellent. Yeah. So 82% of people are, you know, regard this album pretty highly. Um, and like you were saying, it is Eloy's most successful album. Um, and, you know, someone on Sputnik Music said that this is like the band at their apex. Yeah. For sure. Um, this is something I wanted to kind of touch on because you were talking about that they, they're still going strong and everything. Mm. And uh, this was just something to note about the band. Someone on, on Prague Archives said something that I totally agree with. The user said, uh, one of the factors I find appealing about this band is that in the span of three decades, they managed to present a style of music which was compatible with each era. So listening mm. to their albums from different periods gives us a window into the progressive music of various time periods. And I totally agree with this because I also listened to some stuff from, uh, the, I listened to an album called Destination by them. Okay. Uh, this is 92, I believe. And um, it kind of had like like kind of a neo-prog sound right when that was starting to take off it had yeah. you know a newer sound to it different instruments being incorporated and it reminds me again of rush a little bit because we talked about on one of our rush episodes we did 2112 and moving pictures on one of those we had mentioned that like it was probably 2112 when we were first starting out that was our first episode and we were geeking out about rush and destin you had mentioned you know, if you don't like their 70s stuff, don't give up on them because their 80s stuff and 90s stuff sounds very different from each other. You know, yeah. they really progressed as a progressive rock band um, and experimented with a lot of different sounds um, while still retaining their, you know, inherent character. Sure. You can tell it's like, that's still Rush. Um, I think Eloy does the same thing, and I, I really do admire that about them, is that they, mm. they changed enough... Um, to really kind of progress and not stay stagnant um, and reflect the time periods they were in. But it still was like, but that's still the same vocalist I can tell. And it still feels like Eloy. So yeah, um, I do have to admire them about that. Um, other reviews I've seen <laughs> either attack or defend the vocals of Frank Borneman. Mm. So that seems a pretty big point of contention you know uh just peppering in my own two cents here i'm not a huge fan of them um but they're not so distracting that they take me out of the music like other albums i know <coughs> pawn hearts <coughs> um <laughs> others have criticized them oh, for being a pink floyd ripoff um especially with an album like this they they have a lot of similar groovy jams like pink floyd they've got these spacey synthesizers these broad open guitar chords these yeah. smooth soulful guitar solos um both of them both pink floyd and eloy um especially with this record they're very psychedelic and very cosmic yeah you know i've heard people refer to pink floyd as psychedelic or cosmic space rock space right? Rock, right yeah all that space rock yeah i think that um Eloy definitely falls in that category as well. Um, it, honestly, I think that the drums in this are a bit more involved than Pink Floyd. Yes. Um, they seem to to be a little bit more complicated, um, you know, and add just a little bit more... Um, Variety. Flavor. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit more um, attention to the drums. Like, you can definitely tell their existence because there's some really interesting, fun fills and rolls. Yep. 
Um, yeah. I also hear traces so. of uh, stuff like Alan Parsons in this too. Um, mm. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I would see that. I was thinking, I was hearing specifically in Atlantis Agony, uh, the, the last track, mm-hmm. this, this album's mm-hmm. only four songs. Um, I think it still spans right. like 44 minutes, but that last yeah. song, it, it reminds me of Tales of Mystery and Imagination. It actually reminds me of some of like uh, the, uh, what is it? The how, uh, Fall of the House of Usher kind of reminded me right. a little bit of those area or some of that some of that stuff um so yeah i heard i heard some traces of pink floyd and and alan parsons and um and uh, people say that they heard a lot of neil peart and the drums and we were discussing this prior about uh kind of but like i think it was just kind of the sound of the drums with like the rotos right. that he's using the tonal and, shaping of them is yeah pretty, pretty similar to stuff like 2112 which came out just a year before, before this, this so. yeah and who knows if they i don't know if they have if they it included them as an influence i i don't know maybe he did maybe I he maybe he could in, include him as as an influence for this but i'm not sure um but one of the biggest things i think about this album that uh is kind of the uh the meat of of this album is yes uh, the the all the music and stuff like that that's going on with it uh something that's bigger though is really the concept uh the concept of this of this rec because this is most definitely a concept album and the concept is um quite interesting so to speak and we were trying to do we were trying to do a little bit of research on this right mm-hmm. it's pretty difficult at least i found going through and and reading some of this stuff uh because it's based in greek mythology right Mm -hmm. and uh not only that though but i think it's also the i think it's talking about i think what what did i write down here it was like combining the tale of poseidon and the myth of atlantis Mm -hmm. that's kind of what 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 i found but i know that you have you have some stuff that was written on this as well i'll chime in if i have anything to say here well you can tell that that these guys, like a lot of prog rockers um, and prog rock fans, you can tell that they're uber nerds. You see what I yeah. did there? Uh, yeah. See, yeah, see was, what I did there was, with the uber? That's pretty good. Because they're German? they're German, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty Uba. good. Uber. Uber, yeah. 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 Oh! Whew. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely based around the myth of Atlantis. Um... And like you said, it's told in four fairly lengthy tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, super proggy thing to do with the shortest track on here to be like over eight minutes. Um, yeah, <laughs> right. Um, I'll also give just a, a precursor to this. This is someone, another reviewer kind of gave a very brief synopsis of it. The allegorical concept of ocean is a cautionary tale based on the ancient myth of Atlantis, a heaven on earth continent containing a race of people who became so corrupt that they had to be destroyed by the gods before they terminally terminally polluted the earth. Borneman has said they chose the subject of Atlantis to point out the wrong direction society is taking, that our development into such a wrong direction can only result in a catastrophe, but provides no answers to the conundrum. The 1998 (laughs) follow-up Ocean 2 was an attempt at redress. Um, so I, I think that it, the ocean two is really interesting. And unfortunately I did not do very much research on ocean two. I should have, because I would be really interested to see kind of how they followed up this record, which was their most successful and was pretty ambitious, uh, conceptually. Yeah. It's also pretty um, ambitious to follow up 
your most successful album <laughs> with yeah with by a, calling it by calling ocean, it ocean two. two yeah this is yeah yeah, yeah. man um uh, <laughs> but um just some context for people who may not know the story of atlantis also i'm gonna throw shade at myself i'm gonna drag myself here <laughs> Uh, I did way too much research into the creation story on Greek mythology and not enough time into like just the, into the album <laughs> story of Atlantis for instance. So uh, if you want to know about Uranus and Gaia and the creation of the Titans and the Titan uh, Titanomachy. There you go. Let, let me know. I'll, I'll share what I've bonus what I've episode. Learned. Become a patron bonus episode. <laughs> what an excellent plug, Dustin. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so the story of Atlantis is most popularly known to be told by Plato, a philosopher, a Greek philosopher, uh, told in around 360 BC. Um, so the myth is, is, is basically there was this utopian civilization on this island called Atlantis, um, inhabited by a powerful race of humans that were like half god, half human. Yeah. Uh, because they were created by Poseidon, because Poseidon mated with a woman named, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, Plato? That's how they pronounce it in their lyrics. They actually reference specifically the woman, and they pronounce it Clato. Borneman uh, does. Okay. I don't know. I've heard someone say Clito. I've heard. I, I read it as Clito. I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, I have, I no, have idea. no idea. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so he mates with this mortal woman, so they create like half god, half these like demigods basically, yeah. and they live in splendor on this this island which is a veritable paradise. It has everything they could possibly want. It has, you know, a hot stream and a cold stream, right? Cold stream for drinking, hot stream for either, you know, bathing or washing and all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, and they were perfect physical specimen and all that kind of stuff. Everything was great. Well, as they continue to mate and generations continue, yeah, the god aspect of them becomes more diluted because they're just mating with each other not mating with gods over and over again right so they become more human Human. yeah it's diluted so human nature gets involved and that means pride and you know the idea of hubris uh you know the overarching theme of this story uh you know they get kind of overly ambitious and they start to be nasty towards each other and they start showing the ugly side of human nature and they start to conquer neighboring civilizations out in the Mediterranean and all of that. Hmm. They get drunk with power and ambition and they eventually turn into kind of this evil race, right, of of people. And Zeus, the figurehead of the gods, the god of the gods, is noticing this and he talks to his brother Poseidon who created them and he's like, bro, your kids... <laughs> You're, okay, where's this? Where's this going, bro? <laughs> Your kids? I'm sorry. That was, I didn't expect that to come out that way. That was pretty incredible, bro. Your kids? I'm sorry. I'm making myself laugh too hard. That's so dumb. Anyways, yeah, he says. He says, beside it, and your kids are having this this big problem here. They're pretty much evil. They're not like representative of the gods and like they're kind of like they're not but they kind of are at the same time because you created them that's not cool and they're doing bad things you need to fix this <laughs> and Poseidon is and like I don't know whether I don't know whether it was Zeus or Poseidon who made the decision but the executor was Poseidon because he's 
anyways, uh-huh. he creates this huge earthquake and the city falls into the sea. And that's where you get the lost legend and the myth of Atlantis, you know, crumbling into the sea and all of that. Because, by the way, people just associate Poseidon with the ocean and the sea most of the time. At least that's what I think of. He's also the god of earthquakes. And also, fun fact, the god of horses. <laughs> there's a whole story there. No, there's a whole story there. Which I could go to in what? greater detail later on. What? Like, yes, not not another is... element or a or a no no no. The god of horses, just horses. Well, they were a very useful. They were a very useful resource, right? Right, right, in right. A lot right. of ancient civilizations, especially for transportation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, why? But, did, why yes, does... it is kind of bizarre. Yeah. Like why you lump that in with like earthquake and sea and I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, apparently, horses anyways. are at that caliber. Anyways, so. Uh, their hubris destroyed them because they became evil and selfish and blah, blah, blah. And so this was very, very clearly an allegory of how human nature, you know, can be damaging and it can lead to its own destruction. And the best way to live is to simply, um, you know, appreciate the things that you already have rather than seeking out new things to conquer or enforce your will upon. So, um... I, you know, I think for a long time, and some people still out there today, no kidding, conspiracy theorists think that Atlantis was an actual place. Some people right. think this. I, I think it's pretty apparent that Plato was like, this is just a story that I made up. Right. Like, you know, but I, I think some people back in the day maybe wanted to believe it was true. Mm-hmm. And down through generations, that kind of belief and wonder just carried on. So... There's some people still speculate that it's actually out there. Yeah. And, you know, I guess kind of in in their, you know, the the plausible deniability of it not existing is that, well, a huge chunk of the ocean has not been explored. I think it's like over 80 or 90 percent of the ocean is still unexplored. So Mm. it could be out there. Anyways, um interesting stuff yeah uh but this was what borneman was was trying to express with this and also someone i had read online said that this is a parallel borneman was trying to make not just between like society and everything but also kind of touching back on your point with how they came up with the band name kind of a similar type of theme um that just like you know eloy uh, they were trying to really experiment and become their own thing. Um, you know, the individuals in Atlantis were finding their humanity or their individualism, their independence from godhood, whether they meant to or not. Uh, sure. But they were coming into their own individual nature. So, too, were bands trying to find their individualism by experimenting and creating music that was different and very explorative. And so interesting. Um, that was an interesting take yeah, someone kind of, had on that. Yeah. I was like, I see that. Yeah, that's that could be a tie into that for sure. So which makes sense. Anyways. Yeah. So um so my my uh, I found something uh, somebody or something that somebody else said online that they thought that the myth of Atlantis um, and man, how man lost paradise on Earth and uh, Atlantis was because of his violent nature. Um, they were saying that was a metaphor for nuclear menace that was alive in 1977 in Germany. They thought that 
the entire yeah they thought that the entire tale of poseidon and, and the myth of atlantis was completely a metaphor for the cultural historical background that was happening at the time during in the germany during the cold war exactly and right so i didn't have yeah they just think that they were using atlantis completely as a metaphor so i'll, I'll kind of like you know, I wasn't too I'm not too familiar with the Cold War. I'm not a massive history buff, so I, I had to go and research this. So I'm just going to say it assuming that no one else knows kind of the, the main point of what the Cold War was or anything. But I'm taking this completely directly just from online as, as a, uh, a a description. Uh, so I'm quoting here from online saying that the Cold War was an ideological war between two world superpowers, the United States and the Soviet Union, beginning after World War II. So after the war, Germany was left defeated. Britain, Britain and France were left drained and exhausted. United States, Soviet Union, though also drained, held considerable power. Both soon rose to superpower status. So the two became rivals through these, con quote, conflicting ideologies and mutual distrust. The constantly com and just constantly competed for power. So the Soviet Union wanted to spread communism in Eastern Europe and create this buffer zone of friendly governments as defense against Germany. And so in 1946, with the Eastern European uh, or East with Eastern Europe under Soviet control and influence, Europe was now divided yeah. into the West, which is the Western right. uh, democracies in the United States, uh, the, right. the West Bloc, rather <laughs> I think is what they call it, and then the East Bloc. Uh, the Soviet right. Union and the Soviet occupied territory. So there was this kind of a iron curtain that separated Europe. So during the Cold yes. War, Germany, right? We're talking about a German ban here. They became the center for all of those tensions between the democracy and the communism because the location of Germany acted as a gateway between the East and the West Europe. So it made right. it this ideal place for these political struggles to, to occur, um, which right. I found to be quite interesting um, because I, I couldn't deny the fact that that, that could that could be used and of course i don't know what they were going through i think that these guys um they were born and i think the 40s i think they were born in the 40s like 45 46 i know they're like in their 70s today i don't know my math is not yeah i mean that tracks is that track right okay um so they were born in the 40s which is kind of during that that world war ii time um mm -hmm. and uh so Another thing that I found as well is that uh, all of the all of the, all of these guys in the band, uh, include like somebody like Frank, and they were born all over. I think Frank was born in uh, Hanover, but all of the other guys were born in like different parts of Germany, all over the place. Mm -hmm. But they recorded the album in Cologne, and um, I don't know exactly why. I don't I don't know if that was uh, by necessity of what was happening culturally at the time, or not culturally but socially and politically at the time. Or if they just wanted to go to Cologne, um, but I found it quite interesting to be that they recorded this album in 1976, or and or, sorry, 1977, the top of 1977, and during World War II, so just 20 years prior to this, Cologne was bombed 262 times, mm. 262 times, 20,000 people died due to all of these aerial mm. bombardments. So, and I think there was actually like the Cologne bombings is a thing. Like the Cologne mm. bombings of World War II is a thing. Um, so, by, you know, in the 50s, they're like wiped out. This whole thing is completely wiped out. And I think, yeah. or, but in the 40s and in the early 50s, by 1959, what I found in, in research to this is that is when the city sort of reached the pre-war numbers and they were growing steadily all throughout into the 70s. 
including into the time that this album was recorded. So I did I didn't know if there was this sense of like rebuild that was happening there um, or new creation that was happening in Cologne. Uh, sure, I to, can see that. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, due to the uh, due to the status of the city at the time and going to record this record. And there's got to be a lot of rebuilding happening, a lot of yeah, absolutely restructuring. And I can see that as 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 a parallel to to the story exactly right, of of Atlantis exactly. Yeah. Um, I didn't Something have new is, yeah yes, and so I didn't I didn't have a ton of stuff in in terms of like diving deep into the lyrics and how they relate to this. But those are just some of the things that I found, and I found that quote to be quite interesting. How they were very uh, very convinced that this whole thing was was just a metaphor uh, for. The, the 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 nuclear menace that was happening in 1977 in Germany. So uh, just a I guess right. just a fun fact, another way of looking at the lyrics outside of the the mystical uh, mythological aspect of right, it. right, bringing it back down to earth. Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, it could be a combination absolutely. of the two. It could be neither. I don't know, uh, but I thought it'd be worth mentioning. Uh, no, absolutely. So I think it's definitely worth interesting. That's a really, really, really interesting kind of idea to think about I and mean, we don't think about a lot of the times uh historically and culturally and socially what's yes. going on when we're like reviewing these records yeah you know what no, i mean for sure. like with rush it's like this is just a really awesome cool album yep right because we don't really think okay why did rush make this was there a reason uh you know what was going on in canada during that time yep. or whatever and maybe a lot of times there wasn't right sure. maybe some of the bands we listen to didn't go through something that was, you know, as traumatic as, you know, trying to rebuild after, you know, not only not only rebuild after World War II, but also still living in the midst of nuclear threat yes. all the time. And, you know, the whole world was. Right. Because, you know, that 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 could have been World War III. Yep. Right. That was the if Cold they, War. You know, that, that entire That stand. was the Cold War, yeah. that threat. Um, but, you know, something like you were saying, something like Germany, where the they are basically at the epicenter of you know they are the division line yep right it's east and west germany uh it's yeah that's crazy to think about um and plays a factor i'm sure into into why you know into some of the the mentality of of the people there including you know the musicians of this band yep uh frank borneman and the lyricist as well yeah most definitely most definitely. So I, I thought that was, I thought that was kind of interesting. Again, it doesn't really change my opinion about the record, though. Like it, it doesn't. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I always come back to what is musically happening because I think we mentioned this before. Right. Is that the, the, the vocals did not very, did not grab me in, in a way. I know that was like one of the things that you found. It's not a, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. Um, I just think he, uh, the way that they were delivering this was in a very conceptual way. There was a lot of like some spoken word sections. There's a lot of effects yeah, it's that were being put on, and it, yeah. some of that sing talking stuff going on. And yeah. quite frankly, um, that's hilarious. That was not pun intended. Actually, quite frankly, um, huh. I just don't think he. I just don't think his voice is charismatic enough to to be able to do that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. didn't feel uh, I didn't feel that from him, and I know some people complain about the the German accent. That didn't bother me. I actually kind of like it no. in a way. Yeah, uh, it didn't bother me, and it wasn't like so thick no. that I couldn't like understand what you're saying. Or, no, like 
yeah, I, I, it did, that didn't bother me either. No, because it was very clear uh, what yeah. they were saying. Yeah, and I and and honestly, and, and even just to go back even prior to listening to this record, German bands usually have a checkered history for me. So stuff like Tangerine Dream and uh, Can and Sylvan or Nectar, mm-hmm. RPWL, and now Eloy. Um, I, I didn't have high hopes for this record. I, I didn't have high hopes for this to strike me personally. Um, although I did enjoy it musically, I, I did enjoy a lot of the a lot of the sections. I thought some of it, like the very beginning of, I think Incarnation of Logos, the, the second track, like the first three minutes of that, I was like, "Get me out of here! This is just." I was <laughs> I was like, "It's just too spacey. It was, it's just nah, too it was ambient. Just and too, too it was just too nothingness. I guess yeah, like it was just it was, there." It was, I'm like, let's yeah. go somewhere. Let's just, you know, this is a rock record. I don't know. But uh, the bass is certainly the highlight for me, though. There were a lot of the, the grooviness. Oh, man. The, the bass. bass is excellent. The bass grooves, The bass is excellent man. on this record. It it does groove. It grooves hard. And, and the tone is so yep. strong. Yep. And, yeah, the melodies are so iconic yep. and groovy. And they just lock in so well. Yeah. And, and some of the synth sounds, too. Some of the solos, the synth solos, and, like, Poseidon's creation and some of the other. And even Atlantis Agony, um, had there was a lot of, like, really cool synth lines, catchy stuff that was going on. Um, and so, yeah. But I think this is, a uh, overall, a great band to introduce yourself to something that was different out of Germany in the 70s that wasn't technically considered krautrock in the traditional sense of the word but more along the lines of uh like like global concept of like european and uk and even like american uh, symphonic yeah. prog or e- even like symphonic idealism yeah no like it's that. a very unique it's a very unique experience yeah for sure and and, and how they and how they created their music too uh, so th- i think they um they stuck with many of the German traditions, as as we spoke of, with, right. the, with some of the krautrock, uh, and and singing in English, as well, uh, but having the accent very clearly German, which I found right. that to um, be somewhat of a uh, somewhat of a, of a charismatic element, but still, his voice to me just didn't strike me in a way that that didn't yeah. bring me into and- the story, I suppose. Well, and to go back to what you were saying about his kind of contentious relationship with the lyricist, and forgive me, it's Jürgen Rosenthal. I think right? that's right. Yeah, Jürgen Thros- so Rosenthal. I, I, I kind of understand that. Like, from a tor- from 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 a from a storytelling perspective, this is probably a good thing. The fact that they're so direct with a narrative this dense, it's probably best that the lyrics weren't very ambiguous or interpretive or anything yeah. like that. Uh, you know, it, it makes sense to not leave much to the interpretation when you're just trying to tell about this this story of Atlantis and everything and introducing, you know, these characters like Poseidon and Clato and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, <laughs> like, it's better than, like, I don't know. I love Genesis to death, but the lamb lies down on Broadway. What the heck is he saying What is he about? talking about? Right. What is, right. I mean, there's a concept here, but, like, you really have to do homework, like intense homework, to figure out what he's talking about. And even then, it's it's interpretive. There's no like real clear cut answer. Uh-huh. But none of these lyrics on Ocean really resonate with me. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the the other side to that is they're not very artistic. They don't. They're not very profound. I don't think the the overall story might be 
but uh, they do a good job of, of telling the story, but there aren't any parts that are particularly like quotable. You yeah, I mean, no, no, I get that. Not to me, at least, and and so, personal too, because because this is yeah, kind of, okay, yeah. This this whole album kind of is in space. This yes. whole, this whole album is kind of above the head. Um, there, there's it's not set a, in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. There's no real personality. Yeah, you know, yeah, and, kind of going on there. And you and and crud. There are parts where there's like an omniscient narrator, right. just telling <laughs> you what's happening. That. I cannot do that. That that and, whole like there's thing. a part where he's just talking. Like it's like it's like theater uh-huh. it's like going on a stage play and like okay this is the guy's soliloquy uh-huh. right or a big monologue of, of the exposition or maybe not the exposition but just like what's happening yep. now yep. at the very end yeah it, of the story. It's, like the last song exactly exactly the entire like minute of that or first 30 seconds of that entire thing is basically just like a, a couple of just spoken word essentially um I don't know. As a theater geek, it doesn't bother me that much because it didn't go on too long. It was like, oh, this is a cool like, monologue here. But yeah, I yeah it was a bit empty. It, it, it was yes. a bit empty. And, and the thing that I'm going to come back to as well, and I'm going to kind of like ground it with that, it's just it, it just didn't – the delivery of it wasn't charismatic. It wasn't in a way that was – it was more than – I don't know. It said like – the personality was stripped away from the content, and the content was the only thing that was left there, and the content was just sort of empty. And so as I'm listening to it, the only thing I'm really being grappled by is the content because the voice isn't grabbing me. And mm. and a lot of the time, I think, too, there was, uh, wasn't a whole lot of rhythm in the vocals. Uh, like a lot of the time, some of the, some of the vocals were like singing over the bar line. Now, if you have a charismatic voice like Dave Matthews, you can do that. But this guy right. doesn't. It didn't right. feel on. I, I don't know. It just it, it, it didn't grab me. Um, so that's that. Yeah. That's all I'll say about the vocals. Uh, musically, though, I like it. I really, I really, I really did enjoy yeah. it. Since the bass, definitely the bass. The bass guitar is just driving the whole thing home. Yeah. It sounds great. I liked I liked some of the drumming in there too. Some of the there drumming a, too. The, yeah, the, those toms are really fun. Yeah. Those roto toms are really fun. Yeah, nothing. There's um, definitely nothing to bat an eye at. Right really there. cool rhythms there. The yep. bass and the and the drums lock in really well together. To, yep. Yeah. Yep. Which is probably some of that kraut rock feel too. Sort of that mm-hmm. that uh, that motoric kind of thing. Yes. That 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 was uh, very prominent in the kraut rock music. So um, now we wanted to uh, go into the album cover. Uh, we we have a nice little segment that we like to call illustrations and impressions. We won't spend too much time on this. Just talking about some of the album cover. But uh, this is our interpretation of the album cover. We just talk a little bit about. Um, maybe some of the concepts or the themes that we've been previously discussing and how they relate to the album cover and the concept art and all of that. So this is illustrations and impressions. can't get over that that's just the best part of that entire thing so uh this album um the the, the album cover is uh quite uh in the state of the the uh the mythological stuff that that's going on uh, so w- when we were talking about some of the concept concept and how it relates it really is more re- relative to the mythological stuff not the historical political stuff that's going on um and so with that being said, I kind of want to focus more on that part of it. 
being mm-hmm. the sort of the mythological thing. And I, I do want to mention this when it comes to the album cover is that you were, you were mentioning that, and I didn't know this, you're mentioning that Poseidon was the god of water and horses and, um, and then earthquakes. earthquakes, right? And I found that mm-hmm. to be really interesting because of the head of, I'm going to mm-hmm. guess that this is Poseidon being the, mm-hmm. the cracked sort of right thing that that's kind of a dissolving right, sort of dissolving yeah. and that's the other question that i had too that was coming from this is that is he dissolving into the space into that galaxy or is the galaxy dissolving is into Poseidon? dissolving into him and like forming him yes yeah that's uh, my that's question i'd like to pose a great question um uh i see it as just from the direction and like yeah, from the direction that the planet seems to be spinning. Yes, which is in cl- counterclockwise. Is that what you're seeing? Yes. My guess, and the 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 way that it's kind of, you know, the, the circular motion, those little wisps, right? Uh, and the direction of the... The particles the, coming the, off of The particles off of coming Poseidon? off of him. My guess is that he is dissolving into... The essence yeah, sort of, of getting, the planet. getting sucked and into. So it. my whole deal is like maybe he is going into the earth. Like his essence is coming into the earth, and maybe that's because like part of him is you know creating this new race of Atlanteans, mm. right? So yeah, maybe that's part of it. Um, you know, it's it's also interesting that. He is not whole. If this is Poseidon, sure, because we don't um, know. That's the thing. Yeah, we don't like. I mean, we're guessing because it's like it's a perfect, you know, yes, physical yes. form, but, right? But, Which I mean, all of the gods are always drawn that way because the, you know, yeah, they're they're gods. They have the perfect physical form, yes. right? So this, I, I'm I'm guessing that this is Poseidon because it seems like it's a god, and especially with like the clothing too. It's just like this, like you know. It looks very Greek, Greek, yeah, kind of dra- yeah. yeah, draped over him, uh, and it it seems like it's a god. And the only god we hear mentioned in this record is really Poseidon. So I'm guessing that's what it is. If it is, why is what he's holding not his very famous trident, which was forged for him in the Titanomachy against the war between the Titans? Dude, and that's the gods, a good blah, question. Blah, blah, blah. Why isn't he holding that? He's holding a scepter that seems to be adorned with a fractured skull. And I'm wondering, maybe that shows his the brokenness of humanity more, there, the brokenness of humanity. Like the, the but why is Poseidon holding that? Another reason is maybe it's just Poseidon's destructive nature. If they're really going into the whole Greek thing, because lots of the gods were very destructive, but yeah. Poseidon was pretty hot tempered. Poseidon was a guy you didn't want to piss off and it was easy to piss him off. So, yeah, um, <clears throat> he was very hot tempered and impulsive, I think. But um yeah so why is he holding that yeah that's that's a good good question yeah that's really and that's what that's what makes it a little bit more difficult yeah to define as is this poseidon because we always see poseidon with his trident right and that's an iconic thing that's how you know it's Poseidon. always holding exactly that's how you know it's Poseidon. so with this it's not so you're like i'm not entirely sure but we think it is we think it is yeah um even even then though you know we were talking about how it's kind of getting sucked into the galaxy there and yes. how like the top of it is is sort of cracked and, and he's headless there. But if you take a look at the bottom, where the the robe is and all mm-hmm. of that, it's also very clearly that doesn't look like 
that looks very clearly like cracks, like an earthquake. It doesn't, yeah. that does not look to me like wrinkles of a, of a robe, you know? So if he's, why, why yeah. is it that he is? Maybe it's supposed to just, you know, obviously pretty transparently reflect the whole fact that he's the God of earthquakes. Right? Yeah. I mean, the that could be a direct, a direct translation, I suppose. You're right. Right. Um, I haven't looked anything of the. I do have the guy's name, and I will butcher it. So, but I'll, I will give it a shot. Um, the guy who who painted this, uh, Woj Tech Judmak. I don't. That's probably horrible, and I apologize to any Germans or uh, yeah, any Germans or listening German to speaking. this. German speaking. I do apologize. Yeah. Um, but People listening, yeah. But yeah. Um, th- I mean, but like I said before, this got numerous awards. This album cover did. It's very pretty. It is I like quite it. nice. And um, I do like the color. Really... Um, well, yeah. And I was like looking into that too uh, because it just kind of reflects the mood of the record. Like in general, this is not like super high octane, high energy. No, yeah. It's very, it's very blue. Super hard rock. It's very, well, it's funny you say that. It's very blue. Very blue. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. In, in color psychology, blue is associated typically with calmness and serenity. Like what sky, is green? If the if if the blue sea. is if blue is serenity, what is green? Because I I'm not. Um, are we gonna have to Google that real quick? Because I really kind of want to know. I don't know. Because Let's we were talking previously about the whole album thing being the first dawn being red, this one being or did you say red? This one being blue, mm-hmm. and then the previous the silent cries being and mighty yellow. echoes. Right. So the previous one was yellow. Oh, yellow, Sorry, not red. Not red. Yellow. So dawn is yellow. Got it. Ocean is blue. And Silent Cries and Mighty Echoes is uh, green. What is right? the combination of the two? I want to know. I want to know. What uh, the... I mean, it's pretty. I mean, clear like jealousy, right? Is is one of them, mm. right? For jealousy for what? Someone they're so envious they're green. You know what I mean? Oh, ah, okay. Right. Okay. You've heard that expression yeah. or something along the lines of that. Yeah. Um, money, right? Right. So that could also be kind of greed, right? Yep. Just like right. the jealousy thing. Interesting. Um, also, you know, physical illness. Right. If you're yep. sick, when you see a lot of cartoons, when people are about yep. to puke, they're in those green cartoons, you'll see them turn their face, turn green for a second. Yep. Um, so interesting, but it's also, I mean, you know, color psychology, like green means go means good. Yep. Right. A yep. lot of times people just say it's, it means good. Yeah. Right. Um, but with, with this, it seems to be, um, to, to really reflect the blue. I love how you said that. Like your first thing, you were just like, "Yeah, I get like instantly." You were like, "Yeah, it's a very blue. It's a very it blue sounds album. very blue." Yeah, this album, like it sounds blue. Yeah, which is really interesting. Well, it sounds the. It doesn't just I, look I guess, blue. It sounds blue. And yeah. even outside of the color psychology of it being like the serene or anything of that nature, I was more thinking of the spacey element to it, like the the starry yeah, sure. sky blue kind of like floating through space sort of deal. Right. Um, well, and that there is a lot of unoccupied space. Yeah. It's this grand, <laughs> yeah. like we are in the midst of the universe uh-huh. here. Yep. Right. A lot at of dead bottom, space you maybe sometimes. See, yeah. At the bottom, you maybe see like the clouds of a planet. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. Um, like an atmosphere. It's a shade of blue. Yeah. yeah. It looks like, yeah, it looks like more of like the sky blue as opposed to the darker blue that's above it, which is, you know, the space blue yep. that you typically see in a lot of representations of space. Most definitely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the the album cover does really uh, do a good job of reflecting that um, sense of the the sound of the record, the you know the musical mood of the record, but it also 
adds some pretty interesting elements to the concept of it and yeah. everything. So I understand why it won some awards. There's there's some really really cool stuff. It's unique um, on this. That's a lot for sure. of again, a lot of unanswered questions as to you know what is that skull scepter? Why is he holding that? Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a bunch of interpretations, but there's a lot to interpret with this, which I like. And you'll see, it looks like there are a variety of different planets. So there's the big I do see those, yeah. one with the rings, but it, uh, not planets maybe, but moons. Yeah. Like who knows, right? You know, orbiting around. Yeah. Like they're not just, they're not stars. They're not stardust or whatever. Yeah. They seem to be like moons or something kind of circling around it. So Yeah, most definitely. Um that's quite interesting. interesting. They put that there too. You know, I'm also but, a big uh, fan of the, you know, the uh, the Cheers font that they got going on here for, <laughs> for, for Eloy. <laughs> yeah, um, and I also find that it interesting kind of too. Cursive. Yeah, it, I, I also find it too that they kept the blue for the next record. I thought that the blue Eloy was part of the re, part of the the overall color scheme, but they kept that. For Silent Cries and Mighty Echoes, it's still that green album cover. But and honestly, let me take a look at Don real quick. I'm gonna make sure if I'm. Well, Don is no. Yellow. It's also it's, it's also gold now. But yeah, so they kept yeah. the what the heck is that all about, dude? So they they keep the. I'm I'm looking way too far into this. I don't care. Dustin's upset. I'm that upset. The Eloy for Silent Cries and Mighty Echoes is not green. Why is it not green? It doesn't fit. The... It should be green. Gosh. Destin is not a gosh. I think that's everything that we have really to say about this record. Do you have anything else yeah, to say? I think so. I, I, I enjoyed it because I love the, the the nerdy stuff and it made me go down a, a, a really big rabbit trail of just like the Greek gods and everything. Uh-huh. That's always oh, fun yeah. to kind of revisit. It's fun stories. Yeah. It's but, uh, it's yeah. A, this album is a uh, kind of a, a synthesis of atmospheric electronic sounds with orchestral rock music patterns and some esoteric lyrics yes absolutely and that's prog for you that's mm-hmm. that's some prog rock how about that so yeah. anyway this is fun i'm glad that we got to listen to this record thank you for all i also want to mention this before we close hey dustin i think we should do this again sometime we should probably we should do talk this about again. records we should talk about records at some point do some stuff uh on prog <laughs> rock kind of specifically break yeah break down some stuff yeah and uh and we could talk about our thoughts and stuff about it i think that was kind of interesting <laughs> yeah. But uh, before we close down here, I know that most people are going to be tuning off around this time. But if you could just please stick around for just a second, because I wanted to uh, uh, just say a, th- a brief thank you. This is episode 40. This We've done 40 of these episodes. Now, I know you're thinking like you may be thinking that like, oh, they just do this for themselves. Not really. I mean, we do. We do. We do. Um, like. It, we hate this. we hate doing we're this. not doing it because we like it, it. it's <laughs> but we do we do this to a certain extent for for ourselves um and we do enjoy it but i think the majority of at least my satisfaction in doing this is actually hearing from other people and knowing mm-hmm. that other people mm-hmm. are listening to it and commenting and joining our discord uh community and talking with us about it and sharing their thoughts about our thoughts and um, recommending and wanting us to do more records and wanting us to listen to other records and stuff like that. So I love that. I I really enjoy listening to everybody's opinions and I really enjoy listening to everybody's suggestions for like, oh, you guys should do this record. Like, 
you guys should do risk record. Like this would be super cool if you guys covered this on the show. And um, so that that's that's really that's really awesome. It means a lot. And um, and we're gonna mm-hmm. we're really excited for um, the next upcoming year. This is now we're kind of in our third year of doing this, and uh, with mm-hmm. with the release of Spotlight coming, and now we're gonna be having some more new newer bands join in and uh, we're going to be able to interview them and talk to uh, new bands as well as some old prog rock legends hopefully uh, on the show and so I just wanted to say briefly a, you know, a, a quick thank you for helping us get this far um, because if we only had two people listening to this or even a hundred people listening to this I'd be like uh, it's just sort of, <laughs> I'm like alright it's just kind of there I enjoy it but why am I releasing this online and all of this other stuff as well so um that's all i had to say did you have anything yeah. did you have anything to add on no. to that this wasn't really big, scripted here well no it's all good yeah uh, yeah big thank you to everyone who you know takes the time to reach out to us whether it's on our discord i know that's kind of what uh we're most active on or I, I i check emails more than i do the discord so there you go yeah but uh wh- however you reach out to us it's nice uh crowd i've gotten even phone calls from people who are really yep you know really appreciate what we do and have suggestions for other things we check out so yeah i appreciate it too i don't have much new stuff to offer other than my my sincere appreciation yeah. and thanks as well yeah so absolutely and so and, and we're, we're looking to do more uh more stuff with our patreon and and it's supporting us on our patreon is is huge like that would be that would mean a lot to us because it helps us pay for a lot of the things that we have to keep up run keep up and running uh, because it does cost us money to to run this this podcast and um, to run the show and and the Discord and all of these other things that we uh, that are included in in uh, the the running of of the show. So thank you to everybody who's listening and thank you for listening to our podcast. These are our prog notes for Ocean by Eloy. So if you enjoyed this episode, if you learned something new from this episode, please share it with somebody and and subscribe subscribe to us you you will uh never miss never miss an upcoming episode you can become like i said special prognotes patron at Pro- patreon excuse me patreon.com slash prognotes so you can support the show you can get extra benefits to the show if you'd like or you could just throw a dollar our way and uh and as as a, as a thank you and so we would appreciate anything you can join our discord server which is just like i said a chat community for all prog rock fans and fans of the show a lot of people that listen to this show don't have a lot of people to talk to pro- talk about prog with and i get it i was that we were there in high school we were there there's mm-hmm. not a whole lot of people who we can talk to progressive rock about that's the reason that we started the discord server and the community the whole community exists so you can connect with other prog rock fans and fans of the podcast but specifically other prog rock fans so we could talk about the albums that we like and suggest new albums to each other and learn and figure out more records and stuff like that. Because we all like doing the deep dives, but we all like discovering new stuff. And like we know, it, this stuff doesn't play on the radio very often. It's hard to find sometimes. Right. So you have to do a little Absolutely. bit of digging. And I will promise you, there are people who have done the digging for you, including us. <laughs> and so we, we can help you with that. <laughs> so come join the Discord server. It's in the episode's description. And before we close, Drew, what is the next episode that we're checking out? What's what's the next album that we're checking out on the on the next episode? Episode forty one. We're going to be doing Aqualung by Jethro Tull. We going back, dude. Well, actually, never mind. I guess we're kind of already back. Like we're in the seventies, but you were in the seventies. The last time we covered a, a Jethro Tull record was back in episode what, like nine, when we did Think, Thick as yeah. a Brick. 
thick as a brick. Yep. So we figured that Jethro Toll needs a little bit more love, and uh, yeah. so we're gonna go check out Aqua Lung. Yep. So Some more attention, Jethro Toll. Exactly. So don't forget on the first of the month, the newest episode of Spotlight releases. So go check out Grogan and Chelsea, see what they got to offer you guys, and join us next time as we discover the past, present, and future of prog rock. We will see you on Discord. Thanks. Bye bye.